Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 480. Look at us, 480 episodes. Absolute madness. Um, This week's guest is Nikesh Patel, and straight off the bat, I'm going to warn you, this was a little bromance from the get-go. I've been a fan of Nikesh in Man Like Mobin. It's another series similar to last week um, with... Chope, I've had two preview episodes of The Devil's Hour, um, his new show on Prime, and it's really good. It's really good. There's not been a new show that's reeled me in as easily in a while. So, yeah, big fan of that. Just been in loads of great stuff. Starstruck, he's great. I can't recommend him enough. I think he's fantastic. He's got loads of big things ahead as well. But we proper just hit it off. This was a real conversation that I was like... If we weren't recording this, I'd still be buzzing to have had this chat because especially a few of the people we talk about, a few of the areas of creativity, a few of the the doubts, a few of the inferiority complexes, a few of the bits of love and bits of annoyance about the existence of Guz Khan, all real connections. So yeah. I think I hope you enjoy this as much as I did because I had a proper good time with this one. We're brought to you as ever by speechdevelopmentrecords.com where you can get all my merch. There's loads of good stuff there at very at the most reasonable prices they've ever been because of how the world is. I mean, we talk a lot of politics at the start of this as well, and I was really pleased with the way that was navigated by Nikesh. Um was really good. And I particularly as I hadn't pre-warned him. I never pre-warned anyone of anything on this, so I was just like, here we go let's throw some heavy discussion at you and um he caught it comfortably and uh and did whatever he wanted with it that was a weird metaphor uh and yeah speechdevelopmentrecords.com good stuff patreon.com forward slash scrubius pip and twitch.tv forward slash scrubius pip yo loads of good stuff in all of those places let's get on with the podcast because you're going to hear this and then you're going to want to get your teeth into the devil's hour there's a particular actor that we fanboy over here that I've probably not mentioned on the podcast before. You might not be that aware of, or you might not be aware that you're aware of them, but I'm a big fan. So I'm going to say their first name now, Alex, because I want it to be a, I want you to just find out. Alex, if you tune into this, if you hear this, you're welcome. I'd love to have you on the podcast. Reach out. N- Nikesh, if you want to pass on word to Alex who's in the devil's hour. Love to have a chat with you. Um, Anyway, let's get on with the podcast. This is episode 480 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the amazing Nikesh Patel. begin right i'm here today with 
Nikesh Patel, and I've just jumped on Zoom and been proper all business, but it's because I'm ex- I, I can't believe our paths haven't crossed, and I'm excited to chat to you, and I thought I might as well get it all on record. I proper yeah, came on is. and was like, have you got headphones? Are you recording? Okay, now let's you're go. you're a very business, so, you know, set up the environment, <laughs> and then, you know, we can we can let rip. But now, now we can relax and enjoy it. How are you, man? How is everything going? Are you good? I'm good, man, yeah. I, I'm good. I've uh, been looking forward to this. Um, I've been a fan for a while, and, you know, you've chatted to... Uh, a lot of exciting guests, some of whom are friends of mine. So yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a pleasure to, to sit down with you. I definitely, I've been I've been up for it for a minute. So and I'm glad we're doing it now though, because I want to talk to you about the Devil's Hour because I was sent the first two episodes and I'm fuming because I have to wait for ages for the rest of them now. It proper hooked me in. And often on these things, you kind of, often I'll agree to having a guest on because I'm a fan of the rest of their work. And then I'll get a preview of what they're doing next. And it'll be like, I don't know about that, but, you know, we'll make it work. But but this is one that I'm like, if we'd recorded this two months ago, I would have been annoyed when this came out. And it's like, oh, I wish we'd talked about that. But before we get to all of that, one of the other things I want to talk to you about at some point is man like Mobin because of our mutual friend Gus Khan. Yeah. Um, I love that man dearly. But if it's not too heavy a start, yeah, I want to start off by talking about because it's just purely as we record this tomorrow, Gus is putting on an event to raise awareness and funds for all he that's is, going yeah. on in Pakistan at the moment, and it's so obviously because of other events in in the UK. I guess it seems to have got so little coverage and. It's so so devastating what's going on out there. So I thought, again, if it's not too heavy a start, if we can talk about that for a bit. I know you've you push a lot of of political things on socials and stuff like that. So yeah, it's madness, right? And so much help is needed. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because there's no denying it. It is heavy. Is absolutely what it is. Yeah. You know, the, the, yeah. And and I think trying to process the loss of life and also the the displacement to Pakistani people because of these floods is is horrific. Which is why what Guz is doing and, and you know the roster he's got together um, for this for these fundraisers is is brilliant. I'm uh, sadly I can't make the one on on Wednesday, but I'm going on I'm going on Friday. So yeah, I'll see I'll see him and his his guests in action then. But there's so much that's fighting to get our attention in this mm. social media age, and and you know any one of us who can. You know, in some small way, I think just I, I don't think it's even about, you know, I'm I'm not an influencer by any means. But it's, if it's just a little nudge and a, and a little bit of, you know, I like to think that by and large people that are following like you and I are, are fans of what we do. Then, you know, if, if you can just kind of get turn their turn their gaze to look at something that they might not have thought about. It got me to add the donation thing onto my Instagram. I saw it on yours right. and I was like, oh, shit, right. I didn't. Oh, oh, it's so yeah. hard. I know. Bisha Ali had, had shared a whole load yeah. of different um, donation options. And these things can be over overwhelming because there's so much help that's needed. But I think yeah. it's really weird when things that occur due to natural disasters happen. Because I think when there's wars or political conflicts or religious conflicts, it's easier for for the West to bury their head in the sand and say, oh, I don't really understand that. I, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't understand it, so I don't want to get involved. I don't want to, you know, I don't know who's right and who's wrong. I'm going to just ignore that. But when it's 
just a straight up tragedy that you don't again and to be clear i don't agree with that <laughs> i yeah, think you yeah. should educate yourself on on yeah. israel and palestine and, and all yeah, these yeah, other things sure. but i yeah. see i can understand that more but when it is just a horrific natural disaster there's no reason to not have huge empathy for this other than r- r- racism or you know a geographical thing the distance it's easier to distance yourself if it's not in Europe or in England or whatever else, you know. Yeah, totally. And, 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 you know, just to pick up on what you said as well, there's lots of people that have been drawing a direct correlation with, you know, yes, this is a natural disaster, but we can't, you know, it's, I think part of burying our, our heads in the sand, something I need to educate myself more on is that, you know, these natural disasters are happening with increasing frequency yeah. as a consequence of, you know, stuff that the so-called developing world has been doing for for decades and it, 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 yeah it's that heart i think it's that extra heartbreaking thing that that i connected to and i and i hope people that didn't really know anything about the region or you know or about it geopolitically or anything it's it's just that thing isn't it of like human beings like personally speaking i can say people who look like me i have that mm-hmm. i guess that extra connection to it right but in a mess that is I mean, that's sort of trivialising it, isn't it? But that is not not of their making. Yeah. And, and and I think, you know, if people can just take a little bit of time to either educate or donate, or and we, which is why I think all these various fundraising things that are going out are great. And, you know, what better way, if, if you were looking for a fun night out, going to see Goods, now you get to do it yeah. in, the, in the name of a brilliant cause. Yeah, 100%. So, yes, hats off to him. And again, I think um, people in the modern era will, will have, have, have turned their nose up at times that we have, because of social media and because of easy fundraisers, it's easy to buy your peaceful night's sleep by going, yeah. oh, I've donated yeah. here or that. In this yeah. situation, fucking buy away, mate. Like, like, yeah. I don't care why yeah. people are doing it. Aid and fu- and funds are what are needed. With with Israel, Palestine and things like that, it's it's... Money and aid is needed, but there's a lot yeah. more that's needed there as well. We should be sure. protesting and being active. But yeah. with a situation like this, aside from the, the climate crisis, which has caused it, which is hopefully yeah. something that's building steam as well, the kind of change to that, this direct situation, I don't care if middle-class white people are buying a peaceful night's sleep as long as they're, yeah. they're throwing yeah, yeah, that yeah. money in. It, it, Go 100%, ahead. It, we'll take if it, it means that you know, a, family, a family have got a roof over their heads and, and clean water and, yeah. and, and a home, then I'm, I'm, I'm completely with you. I think you know, we, can, we can sometimes engage in a bit too much um, middle-class hand-wringing about am I, am I centering myself and, 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 and all those discussions are definitely valid, but, yeah. but if you're helping people, then that's, that's got to be the primary goal. Yeah, however that help can be gained is 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 a positive well um well, speaking of guys I, I love him dearly as said i worked with oh, him a few years back yeah. and we proper connected and we keep in regular contact because of that but when M- man like mobin came out i was so happy because it's so easy for v- a voice to get diluted or to get l- yeah. lost in the understandably long journey that is production you know, yeah. there's going to be so many different hurdles to get over that that things can get sanitised or watered down. And Gus feels so hard to sanitise. Yeah. Well, he's, <laughs> and, I think he's, and that's I think what's he's, great about him. I think he's pretty... Uh... He's pretty resistant to it. I mean, that's yeah. that's been one of the that's one, been one of the glorious things about you know seeing him go from strength to strength. It's still him. 
Yeah. It's still him. It's yeah. just, you know, in a, in a, in a space where you just go like, right. Yeah. There, yeah. Someone smart there has gone. I want that guy in my project. And, and, you know, I, I remember like Guz and I hit it off when we, we worked together on, um, an American sort of TV adaptation, I guess, of, uh, you call it of, uh, four weddings and a funeral. And, yeah. and, you know, we played like childhood best friends and just got, got on like a house on fire. But yeah, I remember during the filming of that, he invited me along to go see him and, um, Mo Amma. Yeah. He's a Palestinian American. It's yep. his shows on Netflix at the moment. Yeah, he's, he's doing he's Netflix. Doing amazingly. Shows yeah, yeah, Mo. And I just remember going to you know getting there. I went with a mate and seeing the queues snaking around Leicester Square Theatre. You know, past the Prince Charles, and and I was just like, I've never seen a crowd that looks like this demographically. Yeah. yeah. The word diverse gets chucked around a lot, but I was like, yeah, there are just loads of like you know there are loads of brown people, loads of people of color, but just like ev- coming to a gig in the center of town and it's a special that's a special thing because I, I think yeah. a, a lot of the time people pay lip service mm-hmm. you know commissioners and controllers and mm-hmm. kind of like yeah we love that kind of appeal but i think what's great with with goods is he's got that and yet he's you know he's doing judd apatow movies and <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah you know and it's just like more power to him and okay. and, and then doing his bit to to kind of signal boost a really worthwhile cause. Uh, but I think that's, yeah. you know, that's not, that's not put on, that's who he is. No, I've, I think that's what's great about Mobin is he got the perfect balance yeah. of bringing people from his community and from communities he relates to through, whilst also finding the right allies in people like Andy and, and, and all that and Jill to kind of yeah. help that show get to where it needs to be, who are going to try and, uh, and, boost his voice rather than try and adapt it or take credit for or anything else. Um, 100%. Working with people like Shaheen in casting, who's just a, one of the best of the best, but just knows all the right people to go, Yeah, how about this person? And will go above and beyond, particularly with a Midlands-based <laughs> Asian community sh- sh- know, show. Yeah. It's the perfect combination. You know, Series 4 is being made as we speak. I think because sometimes he makes it look easy and the fact that it exists and we all love it and it has this fan base that i think you know doesn't get the flowers it deserves maybe yeah. uh, i i think you and i can speculate there might be lots of reasons for that but what's undeniable is it, it has its fan base but you know it i think he talked about this in an interview recently like it, it sadly still feels like a bit of an outlier like a mm-hmm. bit of an example like a bit of a like a unicorn of this thing that exists but the flip side of that is is hopefully it's it's inspiring you know not just the next one but the next 10 you know i worked on uh series three with with goods and he was um he had uh he in like a an internship we basically had loads of like kids gotta sound like an old fart calling them kids they're young young adults where you know working in various roles and and yeah and it's just that mad thing of going like oh yeah you you're the man at the top and you, you, you spotted a gap and you, you brought, you brought this about. And it's definitely made me think, you know, as an actor, I'm sure you can relate to this on some level, but, but you are also like a a creator. So, so, you know, which I can't currently base myself, but it's that weird thing of like, you recorded quite a lot of um, respect and, um, you know, just being in a, being on a set. It just the, 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 that weird infantilizing thing of people falling over backwards to make sure you, you know you, yeah. you can get you can get fast tracked to the front of the queue. That feels weirdly topical to talk about now, but um, <laughs> uh, for lunch and stuff. But but then at the same time, like you're not um, your voice can sometimes be lost. 
the reason I bring that up is it, it's just people like Guz make me realize that I have an opportunity and it might not be easy or straight uh, or as easy or straightforward when, when I join a project to at least just ask a few questions about what are you guys doing about uh, diversity and inclusion? Yeah. And it can be as simple as that. It's just, just having a chat and yeah, hopefully it's not, it's not a question that makes usually influential white people go, Oh crap. And the, but they'll say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll have a chat. We'll talk about it. And yeah, cause otherwise with the, you know, the best will in the world, it can kind of fall away. Pe- people get on a bit of a wave, like with anything, people get on a bit of a wave and talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then a few months later, you know, the, the, the busyness of, of being in the industry and getting stuff made and beating that show and, you know, all of that, it kind of swallows yeah. it up. Yeah, different things become the priorities. It's easy to, as you say, it's a weird one because you do have that kind of, you're put on a bit of a pedestal, as you were saying, in the kind of you'll jump to the front of the queue or whatever else. But also... Yeah. <laughs> you're also occasionally, yeah. It can also feel weirdly powerless. Like, it can feel hard totally. to... to, yeah. to because these things are such a big machine, yeah. it feels hard to speak out or to make a stand and things like that. And that's why it's so important. And I completely agree. Guz puts in the work in things like these incentives and initiatives to get loads of young people in. And part of that is because the one part I disagree with you on is Guz makes it look easy and sometimes I think it is annoyingly easy for that prick because yeah, he'll yeah, just yeah. Uh, he'll yeah, just turn just up and be that. effortlessly hilarious <laughs> like there was times where we were f- 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 filming together where I had to make make the choice to just have my back to camera because he was oh, just improvising saying, yeah. stuff that was just yeah, yeah. killing me and I was still too green at that point to, yeah, to yeah, hold yeah. it in and it's like this amazing script and then when I say, oh, we'll do a few few takes improvised, he would just like that, destroy it. And it's like, also, it's difficult working prick. with comedians, man. When they're, <laughs> when they're sort of like, when they're, you know, their reason for being is to try and like fuck you up and make you cause yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in a take. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think you and I are maybe quite similar in our approach to, or, or, or how, how we look at acting, which is, you know, that focus on the role and, 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 yeah. and, and, and kind of that, let that lead. Meanwhile, you've got this prick trying to just like, you know, make us do as much as possible to just make everyone in the scene. He woke up four up. minutes ago and he's improvising the best lines I've ever seen in my yeah. life. I was up four hours ago getting ready for this. He's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate him. <laughs> um, but I mean, you touched upon four weddings and I want to talk about that because yeah. working with straight up icon Mindy Kaling yeah. for, yeah, for yeah. this, icon for a yeah. work in the office and everything else. Yeah working with Guz, but big American show, but it must have been kind of n- nice because there was a heavy Brit influence in there with, from like Bisha Ali on the writing staff to Natalie yeah. Emmanuel, Jamie Demetrio, Nathan Stewart, Jarrett, Guz, yeah. all of these guys. Was that kind of comforting to be doing this big American Netflix show, big, big feel, huge deal, but you're surrounded by a load of Brits as well? Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think maybe in ways that I, I took for granted as well, because it's the big American machine, but in a very familiar setting. Yeah. But I, I was fortunate. I did a show called Indian Summers a few mm-hmm. years ago, which was, you know, certainly couldn't be, you certainly couldn't say that that wasn't a show with ambition and yeah. scale. But I just think the like, like budgets, man, for, for four weddings in terms of, you know, how, how they could kind of marshal what they wanted to get. Um, uh, across the series in terms of locations in terms of like 
yeah, Andy McDowell's going to come in for a cameo and all this kind of thing. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> but I think that a lot of that is down to kind of Mindy being at the at the sort of the top of that process. But but what's really heartening as well is seeing. I mean, she's gone from Mindy's gone from strength to strength um, with you know Never Have I Ever and and Sex Lives of College Girls are, are doing hugely well. Yeah. Um, but seeing people like like Bisher, who in in a funny way, we never we, we never actually got we've since met, but we never got to meet in person because ironically she was in LA uh, and I was filming in London. But I was just messaging, going like, "This is fucking cool," because you know I guess we're got similar kind of backgrounds. We're both kind of brown kids from London working in yeah. the TV industry. And speaking of going from from strength to Man, strength, you're yeah. looking at Loki and Miss Marvel yeah. and all of these. Yeah. Bish has been saying Smashing they're going to come yeah. on the podcast for a minute and we're going to make yeah. it happen at some point. But, you know, yeah, yeah that's that's another, again, as you say, that, that must be really comforting, as said, to have someone from a similar background, a similar life as you, fucking smashing it out. Totally, yeah. And there was a really, like, funny, weird bit of serendipity because I think we DM'd on Twitter and then kind of uh, bonded, you know, while, while we were filming Four Weddings and I was like, okay, cool, you're, you're, you're a nerd like I am. So that immediately spirals into, into talking about, like, Marvel stuff, a love of genre. And I was playing, you know, my, my character Cash in Four Weddings in a Funeral as a young Muslim guy from Hounslow who's aspired, who aspires to be an actor. And there was a bit where I just thought, I think it'd be quite fun it's quite an innocuous scene where he comes in from his lunch bet lunch break that I'd, I'd love for him to be reading a Miss Marvel, like bringing his, bringing his food back and popping a Miss Marvel on the table. I don't know. I wasn't in regular enough contact that I mentioned that to Bisher. So I think I just spoke to production because, you know, as, as you know, there can be all kinds of like clearance issues yeah, um, yeah, of to get, to get something, you know, even just a fleeting glimpse of a, of a, of a comic. If, if you know, the higher ups don't agree. But for some reason, it went fine. It went quite smoothly. And then, yeah, however many months later, Bish has announced as the creator and showrunner of Miss Marvel. I was like, that is... And it's... I, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to see it. It's, it's, it's amazing. So, it's astounding, yeah. yeah. It's so good. Um, and and uh, I can't overestimate how much getting those small things over the line can mean. I I worked on a show in for NBC called Debris, and there was a few small things in that that I was like... I've had this idea, and again, yeah. it, it it probably won't get noticed by many people, but I know I could s- see in your eyes as you were talking about that how much it means to go right. I've 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 put something in here that's part of my own prep, that's part of my own work on the character, and regardless of how many people it means anything to, it means a lot to me, and it means a lot to, to my character. And those moments are a buzz, man. They're a buzz. And and you're completely right. And, and it might just be for you, but also you and I both know that the internet's a big place. Yeah. Someone is going to spot what you've brought and yeah. go, is that, has he done? And then it's not just for you. It's actually for someone who's kind of, yeah. you know, paying, paying attention in a different way. So, you know, all, all that Easter egg stuff, I love it. And, you know, it's one of the things that I, I think is really smart about how, you know, what Tom Tom Moran, he's written The Devil's Hour. I was like, the, the fans are going to go nuts for this because it's got kind of references all over the shop. Yeah, yeah. Or well, let's talk a little bit about The, the Devil's Hour because more, more living legends here in Peter Capaldi and Jessica yeah. Ray, and it's like, it's an amazing one. I'll, I'll let you describe it more, but it's kind of a horror 
murder mystery feeling thing. And it had, for me, it had kind of the feel of, bit of the feel of of utopia and of like things like seven. And I want to make it clear now in my notes, I've put a seven in place of the V because, you know, I'm professional on these things, (laughs) even though no one else is seeing these notes. Um, Tell the kind of the, the listeners a, a little bit about it as a show. Uh, yeah, I describe it as a as a psychological thriller. You know, there's yeah. there are definitely kind of um, some pretty scary bits, but I wouldn't say it's like I, I, I guess it's, this is my this is my appeal to people who are slightly squeamish. The hide behind your sofa count. I'm not going to lie and say it's not there, but okay. it's um, it's not like it's not. I, I wouldn't say that's the fabric of the show. I think I think. There's a there's a mystery at the heart of it, and yeah, loosely speaking, it it follows Jessica Rain's character, uh, Lucy, who's uh, keeps experiencing these. Yeah, which is really weird because my one of my partner's best friends is called Lucy Chambers, so the character no is way. called Lucy Chambers. There's load. It keeps coming up. Who is Lucy? Where is Lucy? And I was like, well, this is weird, <laughs> isn't it? But yeah. Anyway, that's a side note. Yeah. yeah, that'd be deeply. I mean, should be deeply unsettled watching this then. But yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, so Lucy's character um, is woken up at three thirty-three, the same time every night, with these with these really unsettling visions. And you know, at the start of the series, it's it's sort of following her. Find we're finding out who who she is. She's a, a social worker. She keeps experiencing these weird sort of like almost like glitches rather mm. than visions. And at the same time, there's a murder investigation happening, which is where mine and Alex Ferns' characters who play a pair of detectives. Uh, my character's called Ravi Dillon, and he is investigating a pretty grisly homicide and spots quite quickly that it bears um, a resemblance to a cold case from about 10 years ago that a lot of people have forgotten. And I guess without wanting to give too much away beyond that, Ravi's sort of on his path to trying to put this case together, which leads him towards Lucy and this really that complex web of coincidences and, you know, references. Yeah, you can tell I've got my, like, inbuilt spoiler gag on, but, like, yep. it's at, at the heart of that web is Peter Capaldi's character. Yeah, and it, feel, it feels intricate like that. It's why it made me think of, of a Utopia and weirdly Sweet Tooth, which, again, tonally is a completely different thing, but it yeah. is, it's that kind of, you're trying to figure out how things link and how these characters link and what the the world we're working in is and yeah it's uh yeah it's fascinating for that yeah i mean i i remember speaking to to tom while we were filming and saying you know was this ever conceived as a novel and he said no he'd he, he'd always set out to that it was going to be a tv show but it's interesting hearing him talk about but he'd always had a plan that if if it got stuck in development hell then he'd you know he, he would have thought about publishing it as a novel but it's um tom tom's a big sort of genre genre tv fan as well and talked about things like lost and he's gone on record saying you know one of the great things about lost is the way it teases out the mystery one of the most frustrating things about lost is a lot of the time that it wouldn't stick the landing or it, it would throw up three more questions than it than it answered and i think there's definitely He's got a three-year plan with this series. Yeah. And, and I, that's good to hear because yeah, big yeah. American sh- shows, I think one of the problems, I'll, I'll often l- listen to podcasts with the writers or when I had, had Kurt Sutter on, who I've worked with, and he'd say how on The Shield half the time they'd start a big mystery and they wouldn't know how it's ending. Yeah, yeah. And they managed to <laughs> nail it almost every time. But it's like I'm yeah. sitting there pulling my hair out as a, a creator myself. It's like, no, I'd need to know 
everything. But the fact that they're going, oh, let's throw that in and we'll f- figure out how it pays off in a couple of seasons. It's like, man, yeah, definitely. that's a risky I mean, we, game to play. <laughs> we were shoot totally. We were shooting stuff. Again, I'm, I'm worried about the, uh, you know, Amazon, Amazon the, the the prime, prime videos, snipers went, went yeah. to take me out. But um, we were shooting stuff that's not going to pay off this series. Yeah. We're shooting stuff for, for series two and three. Um, I love that man, and that's great, that. man. Exactly, you, you you know that when you're when you because there are jobs where like they can barely deliver the script that you're shooting on time, and sometimes yeah. they don't. Yeah, you know, and it's just the pages, or they'll they'll get rewritten. It's, uh, you know, it's a risky game to play in the yeah. in the era of shows getting cancelled and so on and so forth. But oh, I love sure. it when people do. Um, Joe Barton recently did it with Lazarus Man. As soon as yeah. I finished that, I was yeah. like. You've got a series two, right? It's like we don't know yeah. yet, and they have yeah, now. Yeah. But I was like, "You fucking prick! You'd better get a series two because <laughs> the end of that, you're like, well, come on, <laughs> I, yeah. need to, I need this to continue." So yeah, it must be mad. I mean, you right, and I, I know you right. It must be that mad thing of like you don't want to be naive and not think about the marketplace and you know the, giving your work the best chance of getting made. Yeah, but then to also have the ambition to go like, I've got a plan here. Yeah. And, and I've, I've got and a this plan I've down. Got to stick to that. Yeah. It's the um, point of TV. It's, it's the yeah. advantage of TV over film. I'm a massive film nerd, but the advantage of TV over film is for slow build, long-term storytelling, not having to fit it all in, in quickly. So yeah, it's for a sure. beautiful thing. You, there's something I don't want to move on from. And th- mm. that is that Alex Ferns is a fucking uh. legend. Um, oh man! I, I worked with him on Taboo on my first day on Taboo, and I was just looking, going, "That's fucking Trevor off EastEnders, yeah, right? man, <laughs> icon." And since yeah. then, he's in so many great yeah. things, from The Devil's Hour to Chernobyl, Ch- Ch- the fucking Batman, just yeah, in so yeah. many good things. And he's just he's astounding. in Andor, yeah. I think he's in Andor soon, yeah. like yeah, and 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 it's yeah, so weird because I mean, it's so hard. I had I had Himesh. Patel on and we talked about how hard it can be to to move on from soaps and stuff like that and he seems to be doing it in a really subtle way it's just yeah he's popping up in so many astounding shows and yeah he's just so good so I was excited to see him in this and and well it's it's funny you know I think I think one recurring feature of the work I've got to do so far is that you know I like uh, real life bromances like we talked about we talked about Gus earlier yeah. and and Alex is exactly the same man he's a he's um and I, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that um that eventually Tom started writing to that because yeah. um he could just see that you know we were fucking about in between takes singing Tenacious D and and you know generally not taking life very seriously and then but yeah it's that he's he's phenomenal and, yeah. and you know and we He's had quite an unsung career, I think, and and that's because of who he is. He, he's he's you know he's he's unassuming. He's not a, he's yeah. the polar opposite of, of of a lovey or or someone who particularly plays the game. But I think that has a bearing on his work. You know that that, that his performance in Chernobyl was astonishing. Yeah, um, absolutely. And yeah, getting to see you've seen two episodes, right? Like yeah, he, he um. He uh, he unleashes some 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 shit in this series that that's going to be a pleasure to watch. I can't wait, and I I love having actors l- like that that you get to go. I said the first time, and it happened to be on set, but the first time I was like, "That's Trevor, the one who yeah. beat up, up Little Mo, yeah, Mo. And, and all this kind of thing." Yeah, and then you start to see him more and more, and go, "Oh shit, this guy's as said in Chernobyl and all these things." He's astounding. Well, I mean, 
I want to, you mentioned earlier on the connection that you and Bisha had being a Londoner. Can we talk a little bit about you growing up in London and what was your kind of route into acting, I guess? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, it was, I think early on, you know, because I think the, the more you get asked the question, the more you think, right, let me try, try and give a better answer next time Nick has take stock of like what it is that, where, where it all comes together. And I think as a kid, I just really, I was quite bookish. I know for some people, like being bookish was an escape from kind of life in a way. It wasn't particularly for me. I just really loved reading. I love stories. Yeah. And that, that sort of came out in different ways. That would be like, you know, hoovering up whatever was on telly with my mum when, when we were at, like, you know, Friday night was, was Buffy the Vampire Slayer night. Yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah. You know, re- like comics, uh, Warhammer, all of it, man. I, <laughs> like, it. I, I was deeply into it. Well, that's all stories. That's all yeah, stories exactly. from TV you know, to Warhammer to, to, to comic books. It's all different mediums to absorb stories. It's fire, yeah, exactly. It fires the imagination, and it's it's that thing about being lost in a in, in another world, and 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 I guess also an element of like finding people who are who are as into it as you are. And then there weren't too many dabbles with with acting, but I, you know there were a few times at school. I was one of those very lucky people who had a really good English teacher. I had a couple, but um, one in particular, shout out Richard Blanche. He, he, can't no, believe he used he just, his first name. Disrespect, I know, mate. Disrespect, Mister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's still an adjustment. Like I've not seen him for a, for a, for a little while, unfortunately. But you know, the first the first time that that we caught up after school, and it was like, "Call me Richard," and I was like, ah, "I don't know if I this can." It's hard. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, um, that thing of Shakespeare was a bit of a gateway drug for me at school, and I think what stopped it from being kind of dusty and inaccessible was good teachers who, who realized it was meant to be read out loud and it, and you know young people who were ready to sort of just kind of say this is fucking boring you get them to put it on its feet and and just see what happens so even though i didn't really study drama at school because that bit of it still felt you know at that point it was still like oh drama acting still feels a little bit inaccessible still feels like something that I don't see a lot of people like myself doing. Actually, there were, you know, the seeds were being sown a little bit when I was at school. Well, that must have been amazing then when all those years down the line, you're doing Hamlet with legends like Andrew Scott and and, and Jessica yeah, Finley-Brown. Yeah. And obviously yeah. I love those two, but literal living legend. Yeah. Juliet Stevenson, who I've had on the podcast. I, I did a show called Out of Her Mind with Juliet. And honestly, my favourite memories of that show was just listening to Juliet backstage and quizzing her as if we were doing a podcast. Like when we finally did a podcast, it was like, this is just us, you know, in She's the green room. Con- yeah. Or uh, in the van, just- you know. Funny story about so Juliet Steve. So first of all, Hamlet was Hamlet was interesting because I think so. I, I played um, Fortinbras in that mm-hmm. version, but um, in that production, Fortinbras only ever appears on video. So I right. recorded all my bits. So I never actually. I'd, wow. it's, it's interesting. So I'd, I'd actually seen the production um, in a in a previous life, and then this this thing came through. Like, do you want to record? I I, I assume. In fact, I know why the actor that they originally had down to play the part it was something like he was unavailable or even something even funnier than that like uh, he was shooting something and his his hairstyle wasn't period appropriate or something like that 
<laughs> Which kind of made me go like, I want to know what this hairstyle was. And I kind of wish they'd swung for it and just yeah. gone, for, gone for the look. But yeah, so, uh, you know, they're phenomenal actors, but I, I, I didn't get to sh- kind of share the, share the stage with them. Yeah. But um, it, it was a hell of a production. But Juliet Stevenson was in, um, did a show at the Young Vic called Happy Days, where she spends the whole show just like buried up to her waist in in dirt and delivers basically there are other actors in the cast but it's it's all her and at the same time i was doing this very sort of high concept it was three short plays by tennessee williams and if you think like tennessee williams is kind of melodramatic in his like celebrated work his short plays are basically like that cranked up to 11 it's just like each one was basically a fucked up relationship between a man and his mother or like a mother figure. So it was me and Justine Mitchell, who's an incredible actress. But basically the, the, <laughs> there was one particular scene change where in the first short play, I played like a, a 16 year old, like closeted gay man who swims out to sea and drowns himself. And in the second play, I play uh, a guy in his thirties who's like um, virulently homophobic, but you find out that actually um he's he's sending lewd pictures to 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 men in the and you know and, and, and so he's kind of like ra- wrestling with that but um the scene change for the two shows i go from being in my speedos and then i gotta run backstage run into the shower get soaking wet and then run and pull some clothes on and then run back on but unfortunately that point in our show always co- uh, coincided with juliet stevenson in the hallway, just looking, you know, she's, she's got a very regal presence and sort of just getting ready to go on stage. And for a good week and a half, I was twat who basically just like barreled past her. Ran past her in your speedos. In my, in my speedos soaking wet. So um, I'd like to apologise to her. And, and I hope we get to, 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 to meet in slightly less weird circumstances. That's glorious. I absolutely adore that. So, so where was it? It was at, at, at uni, right, that you started to kind of get on stage and fall in love yeah. with that area. Yeah. At Warwick, so dangerously close to Guz Khan territory again. That's right. Yeah, Not yeah. that this is the Guz episode, but it's seeming it's, you know, that way. A, it's, it's skewing, it, we're skewing towards the West Midlands, aren't we? Um, <laughs> yeah, no. So at uni, I think it – you know what? I think it was that thing – I sort of done bits and pieces in school plays, um, including, you know, being a, a nameless shark gang member in West Side Story. I think Amazing. I feel like that's a right right of passage for any any brown kid in in theatre. Love it. <laughs> and, and you know, this was what late nineties. So I I definitely don't think there were, whoever was in charge of casting was 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 thinking too much about um, who was <laughs> yeah. in, who had the right to play uh, those roles. But um, yeah, at, at, at uni, I think. I auditioned for a for a play and then ended up being playing the lead in Othello, which was just like a huge. I, I loved it, and yeah. and then after that, I I just start you know slowly slowly started doing more, and and by the end of uni, I was spending more time learning lines than I was uh, revising for my finals, and it still wasn't clear to me that there was a way to keep that going. What were you or doing? Really, in even think I was doing English literature, English, so. Yeah. I think for the longest time I was, you know, I was engaging with that love of, of, of stories and kind of, and maybe resisting an office job uh, yeah. or, or, or anything that would make me, but I got to the end of drama school and, I, and I, sorry, jumping ahead. I got to the end of, of, um, of uni and I, and I had friends that I was acting with going, have you thought about applying to drama school? And my, my response wasn't that far off 
basically saying like, what's that? And, you know, and, and, and I didn't even have a particularly, sh- I would say, sheltered upbringing. I've been exposed to and seen a lot of like culture and stuff, but it was just a bit of the, of the profession and the world that I didn't really know about. But then I did my homework and yeah, I remember sitting down with my parents and being quite terrified of, of how they might respond. And, and that terror was all completely self-generated because actually they were wicked. They said, yeah, we can tell you're passionate about this and you've always knuckled down and you have to academically. So even though we don't get this, this world, and, and I thank God that they don't, because if they'd known how unstable the profession is, they would have gone, no fucking way. But, um, <laughs> but you know, my, my parents, I've, I've, I've said this before, my parents are both pharmacists and the one bit of careers advice they gave to me was, son, don't be a pharmacist, you know, oh, like, wow. like, yeah, like, you know, find your own lane. And, and so, yeah, I, so it's interesting. I, I went from uni to drama school for another three years and then, yeah, graduated uh, 2010. And yeah, in a year with some like, with some brilliant, like very successful actors now. Lily James was in my year, Mark wow. Stanley, Ashley Jangaja, Freddie Fox, like, you know, people that have gone on to have brilliant careers. And yeah, and that was, that was my way in, man. Because, you know, one of the things that drama school did was i mean it gives you a training but also it brings the industry to you yeah i was gonna say it'll also often give you access to agents or casting directors and all things things like yeah. that it's one of the things i i've only learned via the podcast that yeah. part of drama school is the business side of of, yeah. of of the industry as well which is yeah fantastic you know that's and i think you know that was a long time ago and i think you know there are there are different routes available now and 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 it's definitely not a I loved my time there and I think it, it set me up and it gave me the confidence. You know, part, part of that three years is having a space to fuck up and not be judged for it. But it doesn't, you know, that system doesn't work for everyone. And yeah. what's amazing now is seeing people coming up that have, you know, got it through YouTube or got it through, again, it goes as a classic example. Oh, we can't right? start talking about it again. Yeah, I know, I know. All right, well, uh, fuck <laughs> Fuck those. We we, we, said, we talked about him enough. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, but, you're but completely no, you know, right. Really, Again, yeah, the, yeah. the the finding yeah. the different yeah. routes to find your audience to get to get in, and and the beauty of that of going uh, of those routes is that can sometimes be the best way to get to make the work that you want to make. Because if yeah. you've already proven it off your own back on YouTube, on TikTok, on wherever sure. else then it's 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 a proven entity whereas if you're coming to a production company or channel or whatever else from drama school or 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 anything like this with just an idea then it's easier for them to go well that's not going to work and this might work and we'll tweak this and tweak that whereas if you're going look it already works let's make it work on a bigger scale it's yeah it's interesting yeah and I think there's also something about, you know, I, I think it works both ways, like reflecting on, on my route into the profession. It's given me, I guess, like a confidence and a comfort with being in certain rooms and talking to certain people because, you know, there's an element of just like you get to see how those uh, institutions and those establishments operate. Yeah. But the flip side of that is if you don't belong to that world, then sometimes you've got the balls to just go, this is what I want to do. Why can't we do it like this? And I, and I think yeah. sometimes I've got to like, I've got to remind myself that I, I'm, I need to 
have a bit more of that about myself sometimes. Or and it needs constant reminding as well. I've had sure. that a few times where I've had someone give me a kick up the ass and remind me that in music or in podcasts or whatever else, I didn't ask for anyone's permission. And then I'll have a few months of being like, yeah, man, fuck everyone. I'm doing this myself. And then what it'll be your, like, um, oh, this production company wants to talk to me. Oh, I'll, you know, I'll yeah, bow and curtsy. And, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go there. It's like, man, no, you need to, it's a weird balance, isn't it? I was just going to ask, what was your, um, what was your route into acting? Did the music come first? Or? Yeah, yeah. Or, or yeah. it's weird. Prior to doing music, I was trying to make short films with my mates but then right. the music happened and it took off and that was like, man, this is a treat. And then I'll be br- br- brief on, on my story because we're here to talk about you. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I'd, I had people like Riz Ahmed and Simon Pegg and Paddy Considine all saying like, when are you going to give acting a go? Because they, from talking to, it's all I wanted to talk about from them. Yeah. I wanted to hear everything, all their stories. They were like, it's clearly what you want to do. So... I decided to take a year off from music and give it a try. And I emailed a load of casting directors. I had no agent or anything. And one casting director I couldn't find a contact for was a guy called Reg Puriscout Edgerton, which is a distinct name. So it's going to stand out. It's an expensive name. You don't forget it. (laughs) I couldn't find it. He'd done Guardians of the Galaxy and a few other things I really liked. And I got an email from him the next day. And I was like, Yesterday, I'd never heard of this name, and now this name is in my inbox. And he was casting a thing, and him and Guy Ritchie wanted me to audition for it. I was like, man, that's just right. weird that no one knew I was focusing on acting now or trying acting and all this. It's just, it was just weird timing. And then, yeah, yeah I got my first couple of acting gigs in that first year and realized I'd never wanted to do anything other than this again. <laughs> That's great. I was, I was also that. dead lucky to work with Stephen Graham early on, who took me aside and said, look, it sounds like it's going wicked. Be aware that isn't how this industry works. You're yeah. not going to go from gig to... Like, I went from a TV show to a film... No, a film to a TV show to another TV show, all within the first kind of year, 18 months. And Stevie was like, awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Now... <laughs> Let's look at reality. And it prepped yeah. me so much, man, because it's a crushing Otherwise industry as well. Otherwise your feet don't touch the ground. And then, yeah. and then when they do, it's just like, yeah, like you said, it's crushing. Yeah. So, I mean, mentioning Riz there, Riz was one of mm. the early episodes of this. And I know Riz from, from back doing rapping together and all that kind of thing. And yeah. he talked about around that time that you were coming in, around, you know, 2010-ish, maybe a little bit earlier for Riz, but he was finding that being a young Asian man in the UK, he was only being put up for or considered for a certain kind of role. And for him, it was either gangster or terrorist, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. essentially. Um, or and like, he went you know, to America. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he yeah, went yeah. to America and did like Nightcrawler yeah. and just all these other amazing things. What was your experience of being a young Asian man? Like I said, you came out of drama school with some fucking people who've gone on to do amazing things as yeah. well. Yeah. What was your experience coming out as the only brown person in that list of people you gave me? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, I've, I've done a lot of reflection on, on, on that time and my experience, and I, I think luck played a part in just feeling like I, I came out confident and, and I didn't feel particularly penned in and so much of that uh, when you're at drama school can be down to the opportunities that you're given specifically we're talking casting you know yeah. and 
And I think there was a wave of what was then called colorblind casting, particularly in theatre, which meant that we didn't need to get bogged down in socio-political factors, let's say, when it came to deciding how we were going to cast the Shakespeare or whatever. But is it like, I mean, Riz has played such an important part in kind of blazing a trail for that the rest of us can can follow in. I, th- I think what's heartening now is it is opening up, you know, and it's interesting looking at name-checked Mindy earlier and and it, it's really exciting, the possibilities that are opening up for, for women, particularly South Asian women in shows like the ones that Mindy's done, Bridgerton. I don't know, it's casting just feels like it's more interesting now. What's interesting with, with Devil's Hour and actually with, um, with Starstruck was that they were both shows on paper that weren't coded specifically South Asian. But what happens, you know, what, you know, someone's got to write the thing and they can't put, they've got to give characters names. And mm-hmm. um, so it's quite an interesting thing that, uh, phenomenon that happens when you're, when you get sent something, you're like, yeah, that they, they want to open this up and see anyone for this part. You're like, great. And then I, I played Ravi Dillon in The Devil's Hour, but that first script, he was called Alec Mason. Yeah. I was like, cool, okay, I'm... I'm I was going to say, they're really open yeah. to cast the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. this character, but, Dave. But, yeah, exactly, Dave? exactly. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> but then I chatted to Tom on set about that, and he said, yeah, that's, you know, that's... He said, it's interesting you bring that up. There's nothing malicious there, but it's me writing what I know, and what, what, yeah. what I know yeah, is, a, is, a, is a certain pool of, of stuff. So with that, with both those jobs, I, you know, I had a chat with, with Tom on... Actually, I had a chat with Johnny Allen, who was our lead director on Devil's Hour, and with Rose Matafeo about um, Starstruck, just about tweaking the names and, you know, just to have a bit of a nod to, to heritage, to, to my heritage. And there'll be projects where I'm like, I, I don't, I'm not fussed about making that tweak because it doesn't feel like it's particularly important. But with this, I just thought, with Devil's Hour, I just thought this project's so cool and it's so great to, like, see a like, brown detective on screen. Yeah. Like, I saw, you know... I don't want him to be called Alec Mason. <laughs> so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, completely. Um, it's mad, isn't it? Because it, it, again, like talking to Riz back then, the reason he couldn't, he felt he couldn't get cast in things, is because in the UK we're obsessed with making period dramas, mm. and it's mad that you mentioned Bridgerton. Well, the change, it's messing with the formula. The change that came yeah. wasn't stopping making period dramas. It was just opening up the the the, the race options in that. Again, it's, I, I love that England was like, look, whatever we do, we can't stop making period. Like, <laughs> that's the bit we have to do. But okay, yeah. l- let's open it up to all... Or let's do, as you said, the colourblind casting and we'll, and we'll have some fun with it. Which is amazing because actually, like, you know, that, that genre has such a huge fan base that kind of you know that isn't just made up of of the people that that wasn't just for white people you know there are there are and so i I just think it's i think it's great that those fans get to now see themselves reflected back um in those stories and and it's interesting i I think particularly with with south asian representation you know I, i i don't speak with any authority but one of the things that I'm just drawing on personal experience. One of the things that lockdown afforded was a chance to just, you know, the phone wasn't ringing, right? We all just like kind of down tools and, and had a bit of time to kind of take stock. And for me, that was, you know, what what is it 
what is it that, that's driving me? What's the kind of work I want to do? And, and, and something that you can sort of, when you get into the grind of it, you can sort of forget to go like, oh yeah, why am I doing this? It's because you get so excited when the phone does ring. It's so mad. Yeah. I said in that downtime, it's so easy to analyse things, but then the phone rings, you're like, I don't know. I don't know if it's an imposter syndrome thing or what, but you're kind of like, they want me? Rather than yeah. thinking anything about what do I want to do and what is this? It's like this weird, the phone has rung, shit. Let's jump For on sure. And, and and I think particularly with with um, remember coming together with a with a few friends who are we're all sort of aware of each other and then kind of you know met at you know a party or something or in some cases like in the casting room where you and then you sort of yeah. come away from it going like they're sick why is it that we only ever meet when it's in this weird sort of industry thing where you're like dangling a part that we've got a you know something oh, it feels oh, like you've got a yeah. scrap for it yeah. yeah so like you know uh, you mentioned Himesh. Uh, Sasha Dewan's another um, yeah. Anjali Mahindra like people that are like going on to do great stuff and you know it's it's interesting taking stock of the 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 cultural footprint of of South Asians in this country is a lot more significant than in the states if we're talking historically um and like the impact on the culture and and yet it's interesting that the the biggest moves are being made i guess if not directly in the states like with US backing or yeah. you know, or, yeah. or that clout, um, and I think part of that is you know you just got to acknowledge the 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 power that Hollywood has, and sort of being able to 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 play in that in that ball pit then makes you more appealing. But I, I, I don't know; it's genuine. It's genuinely something that I I, I want to. I'm not grappling with it in some sort of like painful way, but it's something that I keep coming to is coming back to is. South Asian people have been part of the fabric for this country for a long time. And part, part of the issue even with like period dramas and stuff is it's like a, it's almost like a t- TV storytelling version of that quote. Like history is often told, uh, is a tale often told, is a tale told by the victor. Mm-hmm. But like people of different races and ethnicities were about. <laughs> Got it. Um, Sorry, I've just. Oh, look I've, at that. I've got that quote on the painting behind me. But, but yeah, um, yeah. That yeah, that well, there you go. Like you yeah. know, and, and and I think what's exciting now is that there are a bunch of new writers, literally and and figuratively, that are sort of entering and going. Well, I I either want to play with the formula, like like do a Bridgerton with it when it comes to colorblind casting, or just go. I'm, I'm jumping around in my thoughts a little bit now, but but I think this is what this is what I mean when I was talking about sometimes when you have like um a, an establishment way in or or you. Or you know the a lot of for a lot of us getting work in this industry means the phone rings, you get a call and you've been rewarded by the establishment. You, yeah, you know, yeah. a production company or a, or a job or a or a director. That it's that that thing you said they want to work with me. That's amazing. But then sometimes you got to step back and and remind yourself that not all of that stuff is that exciting actually. Yeah, or that yeah. stimulating or that or or, or or and just to step back and go all right well. That's what's available out there. But what if I want to subvert that? Or what if I want to... That's why I think, you know, reconnecting with the stuff that you loved as a kid is so powerful. Because I think we lose that sometimes. And you go like, oh, yeah, actually, I want to be on a spaceship. Or, like, I want to be a cowboy. (laughs) Like, you know. 100%. There's there's, there's a million... Like, I'm a proper Indian European cinema nerd, right? There's so many cool indie films, all this, that I'd love to be working on. 
any time a Star Wars or Marvel audition comes through, I'm losing my shit. Because again, yeah. it's yeah. it's not the indie stuff, but it's like that's what I grew yeah. up on, and that's what I love as yeah. well. I'm, I've got a stack of comic books there, and and yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel you on that. I can spend all this time thinking, oh, I'd love to do this, or I've got my own projects I want to make, and things like that. Everything gets thrown aside as, as soon as I get an, in, up for the an NDA through. That's it. Saying, yeah, <laughs> you can't even look at this script until oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be Marvel or Star Wars. Send it, send it. I know. So you know, I I, I think. <laughs> it's, it's, sorry, it's a, this is a long-winded, slightly rambly answer to your no, your original question. But I think I think there are definitely strides being made in the right direction. If you've been away from the center in any way, whether that's race, class gender, sexuality, then I think a lot of the time that change doesn't feel quick enough or it's, pro- it's progressing at a pace, but you're like, yeah, but think about how exciting it could be if we were there, you know? And, and, and I, I definitely feel both of those things. I can't, I can't lie. I feel hugely fortunate with this, with the stuff that I've, uh, I've worked on and the people that I've worked with. And maybe this comes from, you know, slightly feeling like a bit like I have my feet under the table and a, and a little bit of, you know, I'm going to knock word, a little bit of security yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. um, in terms of, you know, being in stuff that, that's been watched. And But I think there's also that thing of going, no, come on, if you had a blank slate or if you had, you know, if you had whatever the adult version of the, the make-believe box that a kid gets and then he pulls this out and goes, all right, today we're going here, like, what would that look like? And I think that's what I'm... I've got a bit of downtime now and I think resisting the earth to just fire up the PS4 and, and get lost in that and, yeah. and, and, um, and just kind of think about what that is. And so, yeah, that a lot of that is just, I guess we're talking development, you know, getting together with like-minded people and, and going, you know, where, what could this be? It's, it's, it's why people like Gaz and Riz are so inspirational because they're yeah. people who've got their feet firmly under the table and they've, pulled out their compass and started scratching new scripts into the table and new paths and new narratives and they're smashing the table up and doing what, yeah, and doing exactly. all sorts and it's it's inspirational but I, I want to just touch upon something quickly because you spoke a lot mm. about representation there mm. and there's something that I only realised really in recent years of working with the British St- St- Stammering Association I always stammer on mm. the word stammer as if it's to yeah. prove I've got a stammer um <laughs> But one of the things I've learned a lot with them is that representation is for everyone because, yeah, it's really important. And I, 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 I learned this with films like Black Panther as well, gr- growing yeah. up in quite a white area. Yeah, it's important for young Asian kids to see a, a, a show like this on Prime, I Like the Devil's Hour, where the lead detective looks like them. But mm. it's also important for their white classmates to see... Yeah. And again, it's, we talk about it a, a, a lot at Stammer because stammering does seem to be a disability that's been l- left behind in the push for representation. Um, mm. Whether it be racist sexualities or disabilities, it seems to be one that isn't observed. And the thing I, I ranted about in a video was t- 2% of people in the UK, or no, 2% of adults have a stammer. Right. And that's a lot of people, but yeah. it's the 98% that's more important because <laughs> that's where the problems come in. It's people not being used to stammers or feeling stammers are unusual that makes yeah. it a problem. If, if we have more representation, and again, it's the same with all races and cultures, it's a lack of understanding that makes people racist or or resistant or whatever else. So 
that representation isn't only for the communities it's representing. It's for everyone else as well. It's for the communities who need to be exposed to it more. And yeah, it's just, it, it makes it feel like an even bigger and more important thing. Do you know what I mean? Because it's literally, it affects everyone. It's For sure. And, and it's not always about, you know, that those 98% are all going to be um, bigoted or, 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 yeah, or, no. or hateful. But, but if you're, if you're invisible to them, then yeah. they're, they don't have the chance to have that attitude, you know, to form an attitude or to, yeah. to understand or... To get comfortable with these things, to get... Exactly. To relax, you know. And then that colours unconscious bias and all the rest of it. And, you know, whereas if you're, if you're, if, you know, if we're, if we're all bumping into each other from an early, you know, it's, you know, kids aren't, kids aren't bigoted, they learn it. No, man. Um, it's, they it's... don't discriminate. Like, yeah. you get that from somewhere. Sometimes it's a straightforward, you know, you get that from your parents, but sometimes it's like you get that from the conditioning, whether that's the, the society around you or and this is where, you know, this is where you kind of take stock of your responsibility when your job is essentially you get paid to put on clothes and do voices and, and entertain people. But it's like you you kind of shape people's view of, of yeah. what's out there. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that 2% is a, yeah, that's a huge... It's a small number and it's not a small number. You know? It's not a small <laughs> it's number, It's one of yeah. them. It's, it's, it's a weird one. But, I mean, I think that's a perfect kind of note to start to wrap things up on. I've taken an hour of, of your time. So I kind of want to just ask what's ahead because I was looking at IMDb and I'm seeing the critic with, you guessed it, more living legends. And I feel like I'm listing all these legends as if you're not a legend. I, I don't want to <laughs> no, discredit man, you on. here, but Gemma and Mark Strong, Leslie Manville and Sir yeah. Ian fucking mckellen um that sounds mad i'm not familiar with it at all but yes so kind of what's ahead i guess yeah so so we shot that earlier this year and i've I've got a a a small part in that but it's um it's sort of it's a it's a murder mystery set in in theater land so you've got lots of like intrigue and um scheming um ian mckellen plays a veteran theater critic who starts blackmailing this actress played by Gemma Arterton. Um, so that he can keep his job. And, uh, it's written by Patrick Marber, who wrote, you know, he's, he's written some, he wrote Closer, he wrote yeah. Don Juan and so, like, he's, he's, he's terrific. The read-through for that, there's, you know, all, all the stuff in your, in your, that goes through your active, also, you must know this, read-throughs are kind of, they're weird anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because um, you sort of, it's sort of like being back in the canteen at school, and you're like, who do I sit with? Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to look like a twat. Except yeah. into your canteen walks Gandalf, and then you completely lose your shit. Yeah. Um, so that yeah, I, I I don't know when that's that's I don't know when that'll come out. We shot that earlier that earlier this year, and yeah, it was a, sounds a amazing. huge privilege to be part of that. And then got um, the third series of Starstruck. Yes, um, start filming that in Jan, which can't can't wait for. Uh, just just so you know, in my notes, R- Rose is on my list of legends as well. We oh, just didn't sure. get around to talking yeah. about it, but yeah, I, don't wanna, yeah. I don't want to leave Rose off there, but yeah. No, man, no, like, uh, yeah, she's she's multiple. I don't even think she's triple threat. I think we just got to say she's multiple threat. You yeah, know? She's yeah. She sort of does it, does it all. And then, yeah, hopefully the plan is for for more Devil's Hour. So yes. um, fingers crossed it comes out, it comes out next month. So hopefully you, uh, people like yourselves, get their... Uh, get, the, get yeah. sucked into it and get their fix and then uh, we get to do more of it. 
I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, it's been a pleasure, man. I'm glad we got to chat. I said it feels like Me it's too. been a long time coming, but it seems like the timing was perfect. So I appreciate you taking the time. You too, man. Likewise. Nice one. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Nikesh Patel. Loads of nerd out moments there, man. From comic book nerd out moments to Alex Fern's nerd out moments. You weren't expecting that. I was. I was ready. I was ready. Um, I'm going to be back next week with another wonderful guest, I'll see you then, probably, unless you pop into one of my Twitch streams between now and then and have a little natter. Uh, Yeah, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.